You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope your two weeks have been good. We are having a spot of Indian summer here in the UK and it's absolutely glorious. Thank you for all your reactions and um, comments on G's story, or last story. I have noticed that there were some nice exchanges on the um, Facebook group. It's brilliant and it really fills me with joy. Well, I don't need very much to start having a little joyful jig. So today's story comes from Gemma. I haven't met Gemma in person. We met on social media and I have been following the course of her life in the last year. And this young lady has amazed me with her resilience, her grit, her fun, her love for her children, her odd bursts, but mostly she has amazed me with her strength and her thirst for life against all the odds. Gemma had it really tough growing up. She was badly bullied as a young child and she overcame that. And then, when she was 12, she was sexually abused by a council worker. And again, she overcame that. A little older, she had the wrong boyfriend, the type that introduced her to drugs. And before she knew it, she was badly addicted to crack. And with the help of her family and some special friends, she became clean. She overcame that. And then she fell in love. It was a whirlwind. They were married quickly. But that lasted only a year. And although they remained good friends, it was another blow. And again, she picked herself up and gave her heart away again. It was good at the beginning and a little girl was born, Emily, a little bundle of joy, still now as a nine-year-old girl. But Emily was the only beauty in that relationship. Soon it became abusive. There was no room for love, just violence abuse and humiliation every day. Gemma lived in fear of the hand, the fist, or where it might hit. If it wasn't for social services getting involved, to this day she thinks she would not be here to tell the tale. And from this again she got up, picked up the pieces of what was left of her and with her little girl, started living again. Living a normal life? Not really. Alcohol addiction, a despise for men in general. She was left with no trust in them. Love? She had no idea what the word even meant. A drift, but a life. And that is when. She met Jono. 
She was 31 by then, single mum, trying to keep things together. She really wasn't interested into meeting anyone at all, but she couldn't resist dipping her toes in Tinder, the online dating site. And Jono's profile had popped up. He lived in the same town. He was a tree surgeon, smiley face, beautiful blue eyes, a little cheekiness, and a lot of openness and generosity. A very good-looking lad. And she played him a bit. A few messages. But she wasn't really interested. He was, without a doubt, no better than all the other men that had crossed her path. But one night in May 2015, sitting in front of the computer with a cousin, laughing together and replying to some of his messages, looking at his profile, he had asked for Gemma's address. He had asked if he could come over there and then. Gosh, no way! She had no intention of meeting him, ever. And she got up, went upstairs for a minute. What she didn't know is that as soon as she had disappeared from the room, her cousin replied with a single message. Yes, come now, this is the address. A little while later, the doorbell went. And filling up the doorway was a giant of a man, tall, broad, muscular, and his open face broke into a genuine and generous smile as, towering over her, he was looking her up and down. And that is when she realized she was wearing a pink onesie. And that evening, they sat speaking long into the night, sharing their stories and their words floating in the space between them on the sofa were carrying promises of more. From that day, Jono was a frequent visitor at Gemma's house. And with each of his visits, he would bring an invisible brick to the edifice of trust that he was slowly building inside Gemma's heart. His kindness, his protection, his generosity, his genuineness, and soon his love slowly rescued her. And she fell for him, utterly. He was a big man with a big heart. There were plenty of room in there to welcome more than one. And so he welcomed Gemma's four years old daughter, Emily, too. He loved her as if she was his own daughter. And for Gemma, that was it. There was no turning back. She loved him, simply, for all he was and for all the space he had made for them in his life. And so it didn't come as a surprise that only seven months later, on Gemma's birthday, Jono went down on one knee, offering her a white gold band encasing a diamond. And of course, she said yes. They were married at the end of August, and that night they danced under the thousand sparks 
that the mirror ball was sending, turning above their heads like a good omen, totally united in their embrace, oblivious to all around them. And life started for their little family of three. Jono, infiable in his generosity and love as a husband and as a father. Was there room for more? They had spoken about the possibility of having a child of their own, but Gemma had suffered with fertility problems, so that was highly unlikely. So when morning sickness manifested itself as early as during the honeymoon, it was joy all around. As a belly grew, Jono watched in awe. And Oscar was born in May. And only four months later, Gemma's breasts grew tender again. And a pregnancy test confirmed it. They were expecting another baby. Gemma was so worried to announce the news to Jono, sinking under the enormity of having another baby so soon. But she shouldn't have worried, as when she waved the pregnancy test in front of his incredulous eyes coming out of the bathroom, he threw his arms up in the air in a little joyful dance and then wrapped them around her in a loving and elated embrace. His joy was infectious. And Willow was born in July. And now they were a family of five. But the happiness was to be cut short as life came to deliver them the worst blow of all. Four days after Willow's birth, as they were back home and getting ready for bed, Jono fell to his knees. Like a great big oak tree in a dead thump, he was holding his head in agony. His face had turned white, drenched in sweat. Gemma dialed 999 in utter panic, and even then he tried to calm her. I'll be all right, he had said. Stay here with our babies. I will text you later. A phone call from the hospital confirmed it later. Bleed on the brain, said the surgeon. Arteriovenous malformation, or AVM as it is known. Jono had a small procedure there and then, gluing some of the blood vessels, but really he needed an invasive brain surgery to sort the problem properly. And so that was scheduled for September. They had two months in front of them, two months to enjoy the summer and the little family, their newborn baby. And Jono mucked around with the children all summer. Willow asleep on his big chest or burying the two older children in stones on the beach in Portsmouth or playing for hours with them on the 2P machine in the arcade. No one could have told what was looming for him. He remained his protective, generous, joyful self. What a wonderful summer they all had. But all too soon, the summer ended. September was pointing 
its cruel nose and the operation was upon them. And as Jonah was wheeled into theatre, Gemma said in a low voice, Don't go and have rude dreams about me, grinning, looking into his blue eyes. And as the door swung closed, swallowing her husband, she could still make out his chuckle. But that chuckle, his chuckle, that laugh, she was never to hear it again. The operation didn't go well. He bled a lot, said the surgeon. Within a few hours, another operation was immediately rescheduled, but before they could even operate, Jono was rushed back into theatre. Brain hemorrhage. There will be nothing that they can do for him anymore. He was kept alive by the machines, making him breathe, pulsing his heart, but really, he had already left. He was 27, fit as a fiddle, an oak tree of a man. How could he be lifeless? It made no sense. And then came the question. The question no wife is ever ready to be asked, especially at such moments when the pain is already so intense, so acute, that it seems it could not possibly get any worse. The harrowing question, what about organ donation? Had they ever spoken about it? Did Jono agree with it? What did he want her to do, to decide? Could he please, Jono, please send her a sign? She was at loss, empty. She went to the hospital chapel to think, to have peace. And as she stepped out, she had it. She had the sign. Two people were handing out leaflets, backing organ donation. When she came back to the ward, she gave one word to the surgeon. A word worth more than all the gold in the world. Yes. That night, before the doctors dialed down the little life that was left in him, she spent it with him in his hospital bed, curled up next to him. She played him their song, the one they danced together at their wedding. Maybe, just maybe, a little part of him was hearing it somewhere. And he went. Gemma had now to concentrate on her children, their children, thirsty for her attention and love. But the feeling of loneliness was overwhelming. About 23 days after Jono's death, on an early afternoon in September, as the sunshine was seeping through the little house and the children were quietly entertaining themselves and the baby was happily gurgling, there was a knock on the door. Gemma went to open. A man was standing there with a large brown envelope. He was delivering it on behalf 
of the organ donation team. He handed the envelope to Gemma. The door closed and Gemma stayed there, the envelope pressed against her heart. She opened it. She found one letter and four pouches, one for each of them. And in each pouch, there were a lock of Jono's hair, a copy of his handprint and a pack of seeds. Forget me not. How could they? But it was the letter that made the whole difference. And there, her eyes shining with utter pride, she read. She read that five lives had been saved thanks to Jono's gift. A man in his 40s had been given his kidney and pancreas. Another man received his other kidney after a desperate 10 years wait. His liver had been split into two. One half went to a man in his 60s and the other to a young boy. And his heart, his big, generous heart, the one that contained so much love, went to a man in his 60s. Jono had gone through death in the same way he had gone through life. Generous. I knew nothing about organ donation and my life literally changed in the blink of an eye and when I got asked it, I didn't know. I had to think about it and I went and thought about it and I'm so glad I done it because my husband saved five lives and if like the only way I can explain it is like you feel when you get asked you feel very torn and your mind feels so boggled um, but I'm I'm really glad that I did do it for for Jono because he's living on in five others and one day my children might be able to hear their daddy's heartbeat or meet the people that received something of John O's and it's just an amazing gift. Et voilà, what a harrowing story, yet so utterly inspiring. Dear Gemma, thank you so much for trusting me with your story. As I said at the very beginning, I am in awe of your strength and resilience. And I do not doubt for a moment that life has much more to give you. If you want to connect with Gemma and thank her for her story, I know she is on our private Facebook group. Don't hesitate to join the group. I think, as always, life is made richer by all the connections we make. We should never hold ourselves back from the great pleasure of connecting with one another. Before I leave, I will plead again. If you have enjoyed this story, please take a minute or so to do a rating and a review for The Airing Cupboard on your podcast app or share it. And don't forget to join me on The Airing Cupboard's Instagram, Facebook and Twitter page. 
Search for it and you will recognize the logo. I wish you all a very good two weeks and until we meet in the airing cupboard. Goodbye.